This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Welcome in, my friends. What are y'all drinking this week? I'm drinking two beverages. Uh, One is another random smoothie of various fruits from my fridge. And then this other drink that I have, my sister recommended it. It's called Greater Than Sports Drink, and it's like a rehydration Mm. sort of beverage, and it's watermelon coconut, and it is amazing. I highly recommend it. Greater Than Sports Drinks, and they have so many different flavors to choose from. So There we go. Wow, you're on the health train today. I I am kind of too. I I really like that you're double fisting your drinks, because I think this is the first time you've done it maybe on the show. Uh, no, this is like the third time. Oh, yeah. is it? Okay. I always feel Fact like I'm the check. only one, but maybe it's because we like <laughs> flip flop. Because I'm also double drinking today. I've got like a green juice drink that I bought from the store, and I'm also drinking a Rainier beer. And it's just occurring to me, I don't know what kind of beer Rainier is. Does anyone? It's Well, just... it's like a really light beer. I think it's a Pilsner. It might be a lager, but it's good. Fair it's enough. very refreshing. Excellent. What about you, Steven? My... Wonderful friend Alex Falcongrove came in clutch and got me another couple boxes of Storyville K-Cups for the coffee. Oh. So I'm drinking some coffee today. I'm into it. Hey, I was going to ask you guys, I am curious to hear a little bit of an update on how Lent is going for you. Well, there's really no update here. I'm not really doing anything for Lent. Okay. I have before, but I'm not this year. In some ways, I hope this doesn't sound too... uh repetitive but in some ways i feel like the last year or so has kind of felt like lent like the Mm. like longing for it to be over and to be honest i just don't want to feel that anymore so i'm not really doing anything special for lent this year what about you emily i usually will give up something and add something so this year i gave up all forms of tea even like the even the kind that i can consume during pregnancy Mm. Um, and that's very difficult because i love tea so much mm-hmm. um um so i've i've given that up and then i've added a daily devotional that's new and i try to do not every day but i try to be more intentional about my workouts and so whether if i go with alex to the gym or if i do some light sort of uh prenatal workouts here at the parsonage mm-hmm. i'm just more intentional about the time that i'm spending with my body so that's what i've been doing mm. I struggled to find anything to take away, but I liked the permission I got from you in our text thread, Emily, to just add something that you mm-hmm. like want to create into a habit. So I've been putting myself through kind of like a, a 40 day a devotional isn't it because I'm not reading. It's just like 40 days of very dedicated and specific time set aside for prayer Oh, and it's it's something like prayer. I've had a weird relationship with prayer my whole Christian life. It's something I don't do very often. And to be honest, I kind of have some, I don't know, complicated questions about prayer. 
So that was actually what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. I wanted to start it. I wanted to start our thread on a, what is it? Like, what is prayer? B, what does it do? And C, why do we do it? Mm. Because I've so, grown up with a lot. Yeah. Of, what have you come to? Well, so I'm not sure what I've come to. That's mostly why I'm asking the question because I've been introduced to quite a few styles of prayer over the last few years, especially as uh, the deconstruction process continues and you, you start reading people with different points of view. So like prayer to me w- growing up used to feel awfully transactional. Like I'm going to ask mm. for something very, very specific and expect it to become true in faith, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. Whereas lately prayer for me is more contemplative in its flavor, you know, like just trying to sit myself in the presence of God that I believe is all around us at all times, but not really making requests. But I still see the value of like coming to God with, with a heart to like, I don't know, make requests, change the world in a way that sounds really grandiose and maybe prayer should be Mm. Um, because I've heard that before. Like you should be praying scary, big prayers. Uh, But to me, the scary, big prayers just keep being scary and I've never seen them like come true. Can you say your questions again? What you're like trying to pull on? Well, so first I just like, what is it? Like, why, why are Christians called to do it? I think prayer can be a lot of things. I think prayer gets stereotyped as like the request type of prayer. Like what, what, what is that called? Not penitentiary. Petitionary. Petitionary. Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking of. Petitionary. I think that a lot of people are raised with that. So I think that that's like the first one that comes to mind for a lot of people. Mm. But I've heard a lot of people talk about prayer in other ways that like actions can be a type of Mm -hmm. prayer, like where you're making some sort of connection to God. I feel like I was also raised with the idea that prayer can be and should be conversational. Mm -hmm. And then of course there's like contemplative prayer. So I feel like part of the trouble in even defining prayer is that there are so many types of Mm -hmm. it already, even like from tradition or from scripture. But then you can also argue that there like lots of things can be prayer, like kind of similar to the conversation about worship. I guess we haven't mm-hmm. really talked about that, but like you can argue that seemingly mundane things can be sacred. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why prayer is like so ubiquitous because not only do a lot of us have complicated relationships to certain types of prayer or prayer in general, but like uh, it's already hard to define anyway. Yeah. I think, Josh, you like you were explaining the types of prayer, and I think it's easy for us to use types to define. Mm. But I but I think for me, I understand prayer as a way of being and a way of relating. So Mm. when I look Mm. at prayer as a way of being, it's whether you're being in the moment or you're being present or you're open. It's a way of learning to be ourselves and to be intentional in a moment and in a way and Prayer in regards to relating, whether it's relating to God, to ourselves, to those around us, it's a way for us to open a connection between mind, heart, and soul fluidly where it is very conversational, um, very comfortable. And I think, Stephen, I think you can pray about anything, big or small. Hmm. Even for the small things, you realize that they are big. And I think that in itself frames the way prayer should be is if we're just focusing on like the big things, 
then those little things that we have, we just see them as being little things. And really, they're not. You know, I think about I pray for just being able to have a roof over my head. Like we, we can see that as being something so simple. But there are so many who do not have that, who do not have a roof over their head or a place to call home that for that matter. And so what, those things that we may see as little really can make a big difference for some people. Mm. Um, Have you ever heard of the acts of prayer that like they use it as an acronym? So it's A-C-T-S. Yes. No, I don't think I have. Emily, do you remember what they break down to? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. There you go. Oh, I have heard that before. Yeah. So that that's that's kind of what I grew up with. And it felt, well, hmm. it just didn't, It it's not that it just felt this way, but it is pretty, oh... Uh, Isn't that pers- meant to be like a like a template? I've heard it used Almost. as a template for yeah. like every single yeah. prayer should have those elements. I don't love that. I really mm-hmm. don't like that, honestly. Like a prescription. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like I liked your point, Emily, about the sometimes we can get too caught up in the types of prayer and it's it can be more like similar to like spiritual mindfulness towards mm-hmm. God in the yeah. moment. Um, I think that was a good distinction. And uh, I feel like this like whole template thing can run into the same problem. Like, I think it's good to, like, differentiate between, like, uh, different actions or, like, different... Because, obviously, like, there are some different types of prayer. Okay, I here's where I want to go. I have some problems with prayer, for sure. I think this is why mm. the types can be helpful for me, because, like, I feel very uncomfortable with petitionary prayer. I do not feel comfortable asking God for things. And I... Why, mm. why do you think that is? To be honest, I think it's because I've been burned on it before. Like, for mm. instance... Uh, like I'm thinking of a specific example in my head, like attending some, some conferences and, uh, like some teaching workshops on what's been called like healing evangelism or like faith healing, like going out purposefully trying to pray for people, expecting God's healing, uh, that you would then be able to evangelize with them. And so like, I've, I've been taught in previous circumstances that like faith is spelled R-A-S-K and like the more, the bigger things you ask for in prayer, the more God is going to meet you. And like. I have done that several times and like failed very miserably. And to be honest, I think that's a terrible feeling. And I don't necessarily think God is telling us to do that. And so I have like some problems with stuff like that. But I also, I just don't know what to make of the relationship between like, I do think that there's very few people that actually think like you should pray for a bicycle or pray for a car. Like, I don't think there's that many people who reduce it down to that. But I just don't know what to think of the relationship between me wanting things and asking God to provide them. I feel comfortable thanking God for things Mm. and acknowledging that they have somehow come from God in some way. But I, I just don't quite know how to put my finger on it. Mm. Yeah. Like instead of asking for the gift, you just pay attention until the gift arrives and then you say, thank you for it. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Well, and I think the problem, I think there's two problems with how petitionary prayer is used. A, when it's used to make an example of how God isn't present in the world. So I'm thinking, working as a chaplain especially, I think about, God, please uh, take this cancer away from me. And then when the cancer Mm. isn't taken away, 
then that's, that leads you to this avenue of, well, then God doesn't exist. My prayer wasn't answered. Yeah, exactly. And I think also it's because of how we're actually using prayer. Is it as a means of work your magic fingers and fix everything? Or is it to actually be in an intentional space where you're raising your concerns and actually then leaving it up to God to then be as it is? So like usually when I have people that come up to me, like I do a joys and concerns during service and they have very specific things that they're praying for and I read the cards, I then generically will say, you know, prayers for comfort, prayers for healing, but I'm not saying how specifically the healing should take place because that's not up to me. It's not necessarily up to God either because God isn't this puppet master that knows how everything, you know, like, boom, like you're going to get cancer and this is when you're going to be healed or not healed or, you know, that's not the case. It's we don't know how healing can take place. And so when we just say healing, it could be a healing of a relationship where, you know, this person that's dying of cancer is able to say, hey, you know, we have had this grudge for 25 years now and I know my time is coming to an end and I want to make amends. Like that is healing. And I think that's okay too. And if we just simply lift that up and say, God, what be is, you know, let it be, then we're really letting go of ourselves and how we have to have our prayers controlled. Because that's a lot to, to bear, I think, on a human heart. Yeah, definitely. I do feel comfortable with like asking God to help me, like God, give me strength or God, help me get through this or like something like that. Well, that's a petitionary. Yeah, but for some reason it feels different to me. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's it how feels... you know it's that's how you know it's a, like act like that's prayer, you know? Totally. I guess it feels different because it feels more broad and less uh, specific and it feels less. It feels like I'm putting fewer expectations on what I think the outcome will be by mm -hmm. me praying or something. Yeah, because, you know, we don't want that self-fulfilling prophecy where we know we're asking for too much that we can't actually get. And then when we find out, oh, see, I told you it wouldn't happen, then that just continues the pattern of how we pray in the future. Mm. Yeah, because it sounds like what we're saying is like the more broad the request is or the more generic of the thing I ask for, uh, that that gets into squishy territory of now you're just like, tuning your confirmation bias to look for things to appear as as if they are positive answers to the prayers you just made to mm -hmm. with very generic requests well okay so, okay mm, actually i'm not sure i completely agree with that because i'm not convinced god answers prayers oh say more this is yeah okay yeah. like i i feel more comfortable with conversational prayer like talking to god like God is with me in the room. Like kind of like you were saying, Stephen, kind of similar to the like contemplative idea, like trying to experience and be mindful of uh, God's presence in the here and now. I feel more comfortable doing something like that than asking for a specific outcome. And uh, yeah, I, I, I just don't feel convinced that prayer is a thing to be answered. Like I think mm. it's often like false expectations we're putting onto it. Right. Yeah. Because I like growing up, you always hear and even in the, the Lord's Prayer, right? It's like not my will, but your will be done. Like I've always heard that as like ask for whatever you want, but make sure your heart is in the position of saying like, here's X, Y and Z that I'm requesting. But if mm. at the end of the day you want to say no to that, that's cool with me, too. You know, like 
but then why do it is is my problem. I feel like for me, prayer is more for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, say more about that. Like the the prayer, like praying in whatever form it takes, whether it's like verbal or conscious or like not even with words, like you're meditating or something. Like I think it's more to the benefit of us than it is necessarily causing an outcome. Hmm. Like like there's been, there's been studies that show whether or not you believe in God, if you act like you're praying as if there's someone there, there is a neurological benefit to you, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I think it's meant to be, in a way, a personal connect. Like, it's meant for you personally. You can pray in community and as a community, and I'm sure the effects of that are different versus if you're just praying by yourself, but it it really is for you, the person. Sure, yeah, I've I've heard it described as prayers more to over the course of a lifetime mold and form us in the likeness of Jesus rather than asking so many things to mold Jesus into the likeness of us to mm-hmm. satisfy our desires and like what we want. Cause like growing up, maybe a dumb example, but like growing up, I crushed on a girl so hard in sixth grade <laughs> and for literal, for literally like three years, I prayed that she would one day be my wife. Um, she's not (laughs) whoops I think I know who this person is too (laughs) you definitely do and so but like I don't know if that's a dumb example but like no that's a great example that's a really good example um, I don't know if I've told either of you this but I was uh, how old was I I think it was like 18 19 I was sitting next to a girl and I like thought for sure I heard like I heard God's voice in my head say this is your future wife and Whoa. I like, Whoa. I like, just I tried to discern it. I prayed about it. I was like mulling over this for months. I was asking people older than me about it. I thought I was going through all of the right steps. Oh, and I was like, man, I think God really did say this. Like, I need to act on this. Spoiler alert: She's not my wife. I did not marry her. <laughs> um, but like, I I think that's it's that kind of stuff that I mean when I say that I feel like I've been burned by prayer sometimes, like because of the expectations, oh, yeah. either yeah. that I had unconsciously or what I was told to put on it that sure. prayer could and would do for me. Hmm. And uh, to be honest, I, I think it's stuff like that that make people fall away because they like set up expectations that can't be met. I think another way is when people don't pray enough or don't pray a certain way and then things happen, they get burned. You know, it's like, oh, hmm. I didn't I didn't pray. You know, I didn't say the Lord's prayer or I didn't say my rosary or I didn't. You know, oh, I forgot to ask for this in my prayer, and so now it's not going to happen. And then, of course, when it doesn't happen, then it's, oh, everything just falls apart. And prayer is tricky when we have such a narrowed scope of it, I think. What do you think are the biggest, like, functional distinctions between personal prayer and, like, group prayer? Because I feel like they're very different. But like, How do you, what- how, how do you think? No, I asked you first. You don't get to turn that back on. Yes, I do. I'm a pastor. Of course I do. Are you okay, kidding fine. me? Because like, I, I don't know if I worded it this way already, but I feel like a person's verbal prayer says more about them than it does what will happen. For instance, like I've gotten, it's been a while, but I've been asked to pray like in church before, like from the stage. And to be honest, it's a weird feeling for me. I do not feel comfortable praying in front of other people, but You're I feel very alone. comfortable I feel very comfortable praying conversationally, if we can call it prayer, 
to God privately, like if I'm driving or if I'm just at home or I'm on a walk. But Mm -hmm. for some reason, like it feels too personal to do that in front of other people. But other people don't seem to have that same problem with me. Or maybe it's just like not verbalized. Mm. I know some people have problems praying in public or in a communal space if they're asked to pray on the spot. And that is because you are now exposing something personal and sharing it to where it is no longer personal, but you're still asked to kind of frame it in a personal way because you're the one that was asked Mm. to pray. So that can be a tricky situation. But I think even as a community, so I just think of the unison prayer, like every Sunday we have a unison prayer and the Lord's prayer that we all say together. But even the unison prayer, we're all saying the same words But people are still praying it in a personal manner. So you're almost kind of combining the two where, yes, you're praying with the people sitting in the pew next to you and you're all reading off the same bulletin or the screen or whatever. But you are still having a moment where that prayer means something specifically for you, even though Joe Schmo on my left is saying the same exact thing where Mm. he may be internally is probably different than where I'm at internally. Um, Mm, mm -hmm. And so I think it's when we have prayers that are already written or prayers that are already provided, Mm -hmm. we feel a little more comfortable being in public spaces. Whereas if it's you're in a public space and you're you just you know, you just ask to pray, you know, I will see people who they'll bow their heads, but then they'll look around the room because they don't know, you know, am I supposed to keep praying? Are other people done praying? It can be a really awkward environment for people unless you're all doing the same thing. I think unison prayer is, I, I think unison prayer should be something we celebrate more often than not. Um, at least just in my, uh, my p- personal preferences for more liturgical style of church now, like being able to like an entire congregation saying our father together carries a weight to it that I don't think I've ever felt like with an entire congregation singing like mighty to save by Hillsong, you know, like it's, mm. it's very different to say these prayers, chant these prayers together, even the way like it becomes, you know, Emily has something different on her mind and heart when she's praying, but Stephen has, you know, Stephen has something else that he's thinking about, but verbally and physically and like out there in the world, everyone in the congregation gets to see the rest of the congregation like unify behind these words. I think that's mm-hmm. a lot different than what Josh is talking about. Cause Josh, I've been there, especially worship leading like, Hey, between these two songs mm-hmm. offer a prayer or like before church starts, we're going to rally up and circle up. And to be honest, I hate those moments because yeah, because you know, well, you don't know. It's cynical. It's very cynical for me, but like I cannot help but listen to anyone like solo pray in a circle or solo pray up on a <laughs> stage and not hear it as if they've like they're just ready for the performance. And you know, mm. like, you know, it's like, Father God, we come before you, Father God, Daddy Jesus, thank you so much for <laughs> l- letting us gather here today, Father God. Father God, we just had, it's like, Oh, I must okay. say, I've never heard anyone say Daddy Jesus before. What? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have. I'm not ironically. To, I'm, I have. I'm going to use um, that. So, I don't know. That, that's so hard for me to sit through even and just listen to someone pray in a group mm-hmm. like that. Because you're like, 
what's the substance here? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Like, well, so I would then push to say, okay, so none of y'all are pastors, but for those of you who are listening who are pastors or in any form of spiritual leadership, you need to know what people's spiritual gifts are. Because if you have Hmm. people in your communities, in your institutions, whatever the case may be, who pray but are authentically praying rather than like what steven's describing as like the performance prayer uh those are the people that you want to pray in group settings because they set the tone authentically i have um a bible study that's going on currently and my co-leader hates praying in public she is just so fearful because she is always afraid that she is not going to say the right thing so I don't ever ask her to pray in public. But I also know that there are some people who really like to make a, you know, a spectacle of it. And so I don't ask them to pray either. Like, I <laughs> I have to know what people's spiritual gifts are. And prayer, there are some people who are just gifted to pray in settings like that more than uh, other people. I don't know if I agree with you. I I hear what you're saying, Emily. I really do. But prayer isn't a spiritual gift, I don't think. Like, I see what you're saying. It can but be. Like, mm-hmm. But, like, prayer is supposed to be, like, okay, if Christians are, like, meant to pray, I think this is kind of getting at Stephen's second or third question. Like, if somehow Christians or, like, people who are trying to relate to God and, like, subsequently have to pray as a part of that, then it's kind of like theology. Like, everyone can do theology. Everyone can pray. Mm. Like for me, the 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 weird part about praying in a group setting is not the from stage part. I like public speaking. I think I'm a good, effective public speaker that isn't showy. It's not that. For me, it's the like weirdness of asking God to do something and that combined with having a private conversation in front of a group of people. You know so, what I mean? Like but, but, for me, it's so, not like a giftedness thing. So, but what is it about that that is weird? Because if you're automatically thinking that it's a personal conversation, like, you know, you're in a space where it's not. So you you should be able to formulate a prayer that isn't just like speaking entirely from your voice. Like, yes, it's coming from you, but you should be able to speak like for the group in a way that's still wholesome. And I think that's discernment in a way that Mm. that is a gift. To be able to Mm. discern, like if I have Joe Schmo pray during our Bible, you know, before our Bible study and Joe Schmo only prays for himself out loud during the Bible study. Well, the group kind of feels a little weird because, yeah, they are literally listening to a personal prayer. So you don't have those people pray in those kinds of settings because they Mm. are having it meant to be personal. And that's a gift of discernment. That is a gift of knowing when to say and how to say it. That that's just, I mean, like when I'm giving a sermon, I have to know how to say things, when and where and how, and that's a gift of discernment, and not everyone can do that. I think sometimes my problem is I often don't see the point in the prayer happening in the first place. Like, for instance, maybe to take it out of the church setting for a second, like praying before meals. I kind of don't see the point in doing that. Does there have to be a point? Uh, in some ways, because if there's not a point, I don't. I'm not going to do it. So what if I was to say, you know, the hands that like, Like I think the point could be is like the hands that prepared the meal. Like you could just give thanks. Yeah, but I would just thank the I would just thank the person. 
but you can still lift that up. That's I mean, that's still it's still a way of honoring and connecting in a way that's more than just saying thank you, because sometimes saying just thank you can become mundane to some people. Like if I hold the door open for someone and they're like, oh, thank you. Like, do I really know if they're like genuinely thanking me or if they're just saying it because they know it's a polite thing to do? Whereas if I say, you know, thank you for the hands that prepared this meal. That to me seems more intentional than just saying thank you. It's it's another avenue where I feel connected rather than just a mundane action. Mm, sure. I'm hearing you guys go back and forth and I, I keep coming back to when prayer is spoken of in the gospels. So like to bring it back to the table, like Jesus blesses the food, right? Like he he breaks like gives thanks for the bread before he breaks it and shares it. That's what Eucharist means. It's literally to give thanks. Right. So Maybe the point, if we need a point for like thanking God for the meal we're about to enjoy at our dinner table, is that it was just modeled for us. I mean, that was the main premise of why we have the Our Father prayer to begin with, is people were asking like, how the heck do we pray? Like, what do you, what do you expect from prayer? And Jesus gave us, you should pray like this, by the way. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes back to the group prayer I I think the root of my uncomfortableness there is I think more often than not, you hear Jesus telling us more like go in private and pray. Like don't be the guy right on the, the street corner. Like not just mm-hmm. thank you. I'm not like that loser over there, but like being really sh- sh- like flashy about it with all his tassels on his robes. Like instead go in private. Like we have a term called prayer closet for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably why Josh and I are feeling uncomfortable with group prayer just as a concept, because I don't know beyond a simple Thanksgiving before a meal, like how many other examples of prayer happened? Like, did Jesus model praying in public? Because more often than not, I can think of like, he's actually going to disappear from everyone and go pray alone mm-hmm. in the mountains, or mm-hmm. he's going to leave people behind and pray deeper in the garden, you know? Right, exactly. Mm hmm. So I think what feels weird to me also, I think this was going to relate to both the, the meal thing and the group thing. I think people's like thought process and theology is revealed by the way in which they pray. Like if someone oh, is yeah. praying like bless this meal or like do something like the, the way that they're talking about it reveals that they think that something is going to happen, I think, or that God somehow isn't already present unless he's invited, unless God is invited. Mm. Mm. And like, it's, it's like the little thing, maybe I'm just being too nitpicky, honestly, like I can, I can admit that, but like, I don't see the need to invite God to be present in a space that I already think God is present in, whether it's food or a service of some sort. Now, I will mention that I do like the, the group togetherness, praying together, like that feels more like we're all doing this together mm-hmm. and that's meaningful versus like. I'm the one who's going to pre- like it. Just feels too uh, uh, performative. Even now, I'm like struggling to. It. Well, it's not quite performative. Like I don't. Whenever I've had to do it, I don't feel like I'm putting on a show necessarily. But yeah, I guess for lack of a better word. So Josh, I think it really dip- yeah. No, go ahead, Stephen. Josh, you you bring. I think that's a really good example of like I don't feel like I need to invite God here because that's like that's pretty classically like the first song you play at a mega church right is a is a song that gets everyone hyped up that says like we welcome you in this place god at least it yeah. is for me like if i'm going to stereotype that's a stereotype like you can expect that song at the beginning of almost every sunday service but so like that's a good example josh of because 
theologically, you hold a stance that says like, I don't need to invite someone into a room that they're already in. That's another, that's a good example to get us to where like, like our prayer practice is formed by the theology we have about God to begin with, I think, Mm -hmm. which was one of my, like, to bring it back to some, one of my core questions is like, why do we do it? And especially if your theology might be in a place where like, I'm not convinced that we're, we're here to change God's mind or does God change his mind? Mm -hmm. Maybe we could start there. Why? I think some people pray expecting that God does change God's mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, uh... It's hypocritical sometimes. Could, but but could we argue that Jesus oh. does that by asking for the cup to pass him in the Garden of Gethsemane? Like even he yeah, was asking for something. Jesus is fully human and fully divine. So that was like that was that was Jesus wrestling with who he was because yes, he was lifting up to God, saying, you know, take this cup from me. But like I know, like your will be done. I know what I have to do. Sort of See, thing. But that that comes back to my like my problem with. Like, make sure you're in line with what's what God's will is already before you ask for it. Because if if you're not willing to say like your will be done, then you're gonna be you're gonna feel rejected, and you're gonna feel like no, you got a bad answer. I think I think we're given the space to rebuttal. Mm. We we mm-hmm. need we need to be allowed to say like, hey, I'm really frustrated, and so I'm lifting this up to you, and ah. And we can still then at the end of the day say, but I know like, oh, I, you know, I've aired this now. I feel this weight. I know like what will be will be. But we are still allowed to process through that. We're just Mm, because mm -hmm. just because, you know, something won't change or God's will be done. However, that is doesn't mean we have to always perfectly just be like, okay, I'm on board. No, we we are human beings who do not grasp the same realities that God does. So when we have life thrown at us, we can be frustrated at that. That's prayer is meant to be an avenue of connection. And so if mm. I'm frustrated, I'm going to let God know that I'm frustrated. I mean, Stephen, mm-hmm. you you recorded the episode with me for No Normal People. Like, you know, I was pissed off at God for the longest time after my friend died. And so... Mm. If I wasn't given that space to pray about it and to wrestle with these emotions and to truly understand life and to understand how God is present in this moment, then why have prayer if we're just going to have this notion of, well, I can't lift my grievances or my frustrations, so why talk to God in the first place? I can only talk to God when I know things are aligned? No. I can only talk to God when things are all rainbows and butterflies? No. We should talk to God at all times of life. That's if we say God is present, then we mean it. And so when we are lamenting, then God is present in that. And so we should be allowed to share that lament in a space of prayer. Oh, I relate to that. I like that a lot. Wow. I'm I'm huge into the lament prayer. Like I think sometimes the most honest prayer is God, what the f-? like yes, what's going on? Yes. Absolutely. Like I think that's very honest. But I, Steven, I think you do bring up a good point. I think maybe uh, I th- I kind of lean towards what Emily's saying about Jesus's prayer being more lamenting. But I think maybe you could make an argument that Jesus is presupposing that somehow his prayer can change the outcome. But uh, I disagree. I don't know. Everyone makes. F- oh, really? I, I, I truly think it was Jesus coming to grasp with who he was as fully human and fully divine and being like, wow. 
I as a human am going to be making a huge sacrifice. This is a huge burden to bear. Why the hell are you doing this to me, God? Why me? I think in that moment, there was so much happening in his life that he just had to have a space where he just had to put his fists in the air and say, ah, but then he was able to Mm. compose himself and say, but I get it. Like he was able to Mm. have that moment where he could just let it out and just unwind for a bit. Mm. Cause I like, we just don't know. Yes. We see in scripture what was going through his head, but we really don't know what was going through his head. I mean, think about all the things that he had done before that prayer. He had flipped tables at the tax collectors. He had healed people. He maybe didn't heal people. He, there are so many things that he did and the things that he didn't do that I'm sure everything was just coming out in that moment where he was like, I now have to do this? And yet, Seriously? Mm. Are you kidding me? And I think he just had to have that time to do it and then to say, but I get it. I think that's true. But like, man, even even with Jesus, we stay with him like, what do you do with failed prayers when now he's he's literally screaming from the cross like, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like he stood up in, in Gethsemane with some sort of resolve and he was prepared and calm for his arrest. Um, yeah, but I don't think he was fully anticipating what it's like to be stabbed through your side and to die because you can't breathe. He had never experienced that before. And I think, again, that was his human really coming through his humanity being exposed in a way that is so traumatizing that I don't think Jesus would have been like, this is cool, God. I get it. I think if I was on the cross, I would have been like, why the f- are you doing this? Mm. I think that's exactly <laughs> what he was doing. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's a reality. Like, we have to really remember what happened during the crucifixion (laughs) like (laughs) yeah in the garden he was resolved but then when he's up there naked exposed in the beating sun dying with every single breath he's trying to take i would be a little pissed off too i would be lamenting (laughs) steven i do think that's a great question though about like what do you do about failed prayers because in mm, i think that maybe that's my issue with like petitionary prayers is like maybe I am just so cynical because I've had those failed prayer moments. Mm-hmm. But like, why don't we consider it failed prayer when someone says, uh, God bless this meal or would you be in this place? And we like don't see evidence of that. Mm. Like, why wouldn't we mm. consider that a failed prayer? Mm. Like sure. there's lack of evidence on both sides, no matter if you're praying for something big or small in those yeah. moments. And then there's like, I don't know, we could get into like biases and stuff like that. But I think that that's a very legitimate question because I think that, I don't know. I just think that that has really big implications. And I think that that's caused think, a lot of internal stress. Yeah, for people. I think the education, May- maybe from young age for me, like prayer was, was a thing where it just felt like, yeah, read your laundry li- or read your grocery list to God and ask for as many things as he would give you. <laughs> um, Cause I even, I, and I don't know if I was ever explicitly taught this, but I remember reading verses like, you know, with just enough faith, you could literally tell a mountain to move. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the faith as small as a mustard seed. Yeah. I 12 year old Steven really wanted to be Luke Skywalker, fam. And I literally tried to move mm-hmm. rocks because I thought like I had enough faith to do it. But I wasn't educated to be able to read that passage in such a way that would be like, OK, you're not literally going to move stuff or like you're not literally going to see a man in his, well, you know, like you're not going to see the Shekinah glory show up when you pray for your Thanksgiving dinner. 
Um, I would say 12-year-old Steven's not alone because there are 68-year-old Stevens in the world who uh, unfortunately still pray that way. And I think, again, it really does have to do with education. And Josh, I think with your question, I think of the product, like the final result. We don't know what to look for with Mm. God being present. Whereas if we pray for someone's cure, like, you know, cancer or illness to be healed or you know, for for financial stability, we can see what the product looked like. Whereas what does it mean to be blessed? That's a little more True. abstract. True. Steven, you made me think of the verse like faith without works is dead. Like we tend to mm. apply the the word faith to prayer and like mm. uh like whether it's faith healing or whether it's like more abstract. But like I feel like the faith without works thing totally applies to prayer. Like I'm looking mm. at my mandolin right now and i feel like it would be pointless for me to pray god make me better at mandolin like help me practice more but like if i'm not doing it that prayer is just like completely pointless and i'm just like Mm -hmm. shouting into the air sure do you want to hear about the weirdest prayer that i felt like i had answered at the time yes please it was at a conference we talked about conferences a couple (laughs) weeks ago and like how how they can facilitate some things and we were sitting at a table and there, I think it was like a bunch of us youth. So we were like pretty young. I, maybe it was an adult. I can't remember. Have you ever heard people pray prayers like God, like to show us like that you're here or like to show us your love? Like, would you do this thing for us? Oh, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't really know what to call that. But yeah, I like we, we had been doing that a lot at that conference. And it's usually centered around healing prayers and stuff like that. But I prayed, I put my hand over my glass. I prayed that God would like multiply my Mountain Dew. <laughs> mm. okay. And it looked like my Mountain Dew grew. Okay. Like I, oh, I, I, it was so long ago. I don't have a great memory of it, but at the time it totally looked like to me and to the other people that my Mountain grew, Mountain Dew grew. It didn't fill up the glass. It was probably just like we were expecting to see it and it. Oh, Yeah. Probably looked like it. But. Well, okay, so I've had a prayer very similar to that. Uh, is at, also at a Dare to Share. Crazy. Amazing. We had a charter bus that we um, were borrowing, and it was at the portion of Dare to Share where you go out into the community and you like either collect canned goods or you fundraise or whatever. Well, we were going around collecting canned goods, and my friend uh, Josh Burke was at a door and... He was talking, literally as he was talking to someone, our bus broke down. So we were all laying hands on the bus, praying for the bus to work. And then magically, the bus worked. And the woman had a little girl and she was like, oh, that's a really big bus. And she thought, or my friend Josh thought that the little girl was talking about him. So he was like, yes, I am a big bus. And so when he came Uh back and saw all of us praying and like hallelujahing that our bus was working, he was like, oh, she literally meant the bus. That is a big bus. And so the name stuck ever since. But I just remember we all laid hands on the bus and we were like, let's pray for the bus to work. And then all of a sudden it worked and we don't know what happened. But I do, you know, I laugh at your experience, Josh, but then I take it back <laughs> because I've also had an experience. So I get it. Totally. Totally. I get it. I have no such fun stories. I'm sorry to disappoint. Oh, Steven. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. 
If you'd like to leave us a longer message, our email address is theravelpod at gmail.com. If you find this conversation valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at RavelPod. Thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color, off his album, Here. Find his work on Spotify and Bandcamp. And remember to subscribe to Ravel so that you never miss a new episode. Thanks for listening. I have no such fun stories. I'm sorry to disappoint. Oh, Stephen. But that why also are you even here? that also might be why my I feel like my relationship with prayer is so weird. Yeah, <laughs> because totally. I feel more disappointed than anything else, and this is why Lent is even like particularly challenging for me because like mm. I come to prayer in this season, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like I've never been comfortable even with what Josh you're describing is like. I'm in the car and I'm going to have a conversation with God because to me, I literally mm. can't like break the feeling that I'm just talking to the other seats in my house. You know, it's a very, (laughs) it's a very weird, uh, weird position to be in because I've always heard that like it's conversational. Like literally whenever you think about it, you could just, you could just open up a text chat with God and just start chatting back and (laughs) forth. Um, and I've heard that I've even heard the like back and forth, like in prayer, I've never heard God talk back like josh even mentioned just a few minutes ago mm, like he mm-hmm. felt like he actually heard god say in his head like this is your future wife right but so like i don't know is there anything there emily like does god actually talk to us in prayer or is that why the bible is in our hands is we Ooh, we get talked I, to by god oh. and we talk back with words <laughs> that can be a very difficult situation I think, yes, we can hear God, but I think it comes down to, A, are we actually listening and what are we expecting to hear? Like, if do we think we're actually going to hear a literal voice or is it going to be more of just things unfolding that are signs, maybe, of God? Sure. Um, like a multiplying and Mountain I Dew. Think <laughs> yes, like a malt and a bus that works. Yeah. And I think that's where discernment again comes into play because I can recall, you know, Son of Sam and other serial killers who swore up and down that they were hearing God speaking to them. Well, and so yeah. they use that to carry out horrible deeds. And th- that's where, like, where discernment <laughs> is uh, important. Totally. Oh, but man. I, I mean, if you want to talk I, oh. about discernment, you know, like, okay, so Josh is like, testing god or whatever saying like uh, the that style of prayer like if you're here show me this thing like i don't mm-hmm. I, it might not be a coincidence that you hear the same types of stories of people playing with ouija boards and like if you're here oh, move the table ooh, right? i didn't like, even think about that to talk about yeah. discernment in the moment like what is talking yeah. back if anything is talking back that's a whole nother level right mm-hmm mm. I had a, um, a woman, Jennifer Draper, she's a, an amazing woman in my life. She uh, still lives in Laurel. She goes to the UMC church there. A long time ago, she had shared a story about how she was participating in a fast and she was waiting to discern, you know, how do I break my fast? And there was one night she was laying in bed and she had heard a voice say, read John. And she had turned to her husband and was like, shut up, I'm trying to sleep. And he was like, I didn't say anything. 
And she just went back to bed. And this just kept happening throughout the night where she just heard someone say, read John. And she thought she was going crazy. So she got up and just very angrily flipped through her Bible. and was like, read John, read John. And she finally found the passage where it was talking about someone was breaking their fast by eating fish and drinking wine. And so she had gotten up and she poured herself a glass of wine and had made some fish from what? fish that she had caught earlier in the week. And that broke her fast. And so I was like, wow, like how much of that is like really God? And maybe how much of that was maybe you? Like, I don't really know. But again, that like discernment came in where she heard something telling her you should do this. And the fact that it wasn't even a specific passage, it just said to read John. And so she was angry and frantically flipping through her Bible but that's how she broke her fast. And I think she had the strong gift of discernment to then just be intentional in trying to find a passage in John. And when she found a passage that was very specific about breaking a fast and being intentional and why to break a fast in this way, she was like, OK, so this is how I'm supposed to do it. Cool. But again, it's one of those things like she's telling me I wasn't there to experience it with her. But hmm. it is one of those things where it's kind of cool. Where do you think, so now that we're on discernment and we've been talking, I think the three of us probably land more in that prayer is for the more of the personal realm than it is, mm -hmm. you know, like it's, it's prayer is a tool in which we form ourselves into the likeness, like a greater image of God's self. Mm -hmm. Where do you think praying and speaking in tongues comes into that? Cause that, that is a whole nother level mm. of christendom mm. using tongues like you always hear if someone's going to pray in tongues in public then somebody needs to be able to interpret it and that you might be able to say as a word from god but then i hear people parse like language of angels where it's like personal prayer language right that you yourself don't even really understand mm -hmm. i have no idea what to make of that i've never prayed in tongues i've prayed once because i wanted to pray in tongues because it was something that my future wife wanted me to be able to do because she was going to a charismatic church at the mm. time and she was praying in tongues. And I, and she was like, I, I don't know, like the, where we were at in our relationship, like our faiths were very different. And she was like, I mean, if you can't pray in tongues, like what are we going to teach our future kids about how prayer works? So like I deep, wow. I deeply well, wanted you, to, was she the type that was taught that you had to speak in tongues or it meant you weren't a Christian? She was going to, some people teach that she was going to a church that, did teach that, but she didn't fully believe that yet. Classic. But she was struggling. Like people were telling her like, well, if Stephen can't pray in tongues, like how are you going to teach your children to pray if you get married? Mm. Like they were making it a very much like a, a deal breaker for a marriage. Yeah. Like make or break. So mm -hmm. one time I went to a worship night and I prayed very, very hard and tried very, very hard. And once again, classic Stephen in prayer, like nothing happened. Oh, <laughs> uh, the one time I think I tried to speak in tongues. Um, I've like seen people do it before, uh, but I was at a high school basketball game. I think at the time I was in high school and I don't I don't know how I got to this point. But for some reason, in the middle of the game, I started praying like, God, if like speaking in tongues is real, make it so that if like while I speak in tongues, they win. And whoa, it was, yeah, it was just like, it was like one of those like testing God kind of things. Like, God, if you're really here, like show me. And so I was like trying to do it. Like I thought that that was the real way to discern. Right. So 
I did it while I was praying in tongues. My team was doing good. And then when I stopped, they sucked and they got the ball taken from them. And so like I came out of that night and I was like, well, I guess speaking in tongues is real. But like, I don't think it's real. (laughs) I think it's like just a a misinterpretation that we put way too much weight into. Mm. I agree. Mm-hmm. I think there are people who do, and again, that's it's a gift of discernment, and if that's how they pray, and if they genuinely feel, then like, who am I to judge? But I, yeah, I agree. I think it's something that just carries a lot of weight to it, and that leads to speculation because other people can't understand, is it real? Is it authentic? Is it showy? Flashy in any way? Mm. I personally have never done it, but I, I have had classmates in seminary who say that they do and they do frequently um and i never really questioned them you know i just said oh like you know that that's great i'm glad that that's something for you to participate in but i myself have never really experienced that Hmm. i mean if someone wants to mumble incoherently in a language that doesn't exist in order to experience the divine I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that that's a good point, Emily. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that that's wrong, but I do think it's wrong to like pressure people to do it Mm -hmm. when and like tell people that like their salvation is on the line or that like every Christian has to do it. Or there's these like weird angelic languages that God will just which let us know or something, which is how it started for Dixie is she was going to that like college age group. And they had a night where they were like, hey, if you want to pray in tongues, we'll circle up around you and we'll all pray in tongues until you do. Oh. And it was one of those things where like, she was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in for it. She, so she gets in the, the bullseye of the, the circle, right? And everyone starts doing it. And years, years later, like literal years, even after we got married, Dixie came to me and told me the full story, like that part of the story. And she was like, I think I faked it. I think I faked it. So they would stop because mm. it was freaking me out. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I was like. Yeah. Totally. And yet it was something we broke up about for two months because it was something that was like this fake deal breaker about how a Christian, oh, like sure. unequally yoked Christian marriage would have behaved, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, wow. I'm jaded now toward people who do pray in tongues because it like it threatened <laughs> the relationship with the person who has now been my wife for five years. Yeah. Emily, to come back to. I'm still thinking about Gethsemane and Jesus on the cross. And I think, to be honest, Emily, I think it's a little ironic that last episode, literally last week, you said if you could unwrite any story in the Bible, it would be Job. Yeah. Because that feels like what most of Job is like, is just like Job being like, what the heck? And all his friends have all sorts of ideas about what was going on. And Job is wrestling with like, I really don't believe God would just do that. And I really think I'm blameless in this area like my friends are telling me i did something that i am pretty sure i didn't do so i don't know i'm coming back to this aspect of prayer because like it's come up a couple times and maybe i'm just mishearing you guys but a lot of the times i think some of these like specific stories when you you ask for a mountain dew to multiply or like you ask how to break your fast i can't help but hear you just tuning your confirmation bias, Mm -hmm. tuning Mm -hmm. your senses to be ready to see what you just asked for. I completely agree with that. I think that that's right on the money. But I also think it's possible to pray mindfully as like a part of a spiritual discipline that you would be more cognizant of where God is present. And I think that that's okay. I think about in Jennifer's experience, you know, she wasn't praying about, you know, 
please let me break my fast in this way. Mm. She was just praying, you know, help me find ways to break my fast. Sure. And the story could have ended where God told her to read John and she could have been like, no, I want to break my fast by eating Chinese food. Like she didn't have to follow through with it. And she mm. could have read John and been like, well, that was pointless. Like, I don't care. I don't eat fish. So I'm just going to wait for God to speak to me again. Mm. I think it's just this mindfulness of how we're praying and what is it that we're actually praying for when we say, you know, help me break my fast? Are we saying, help me break my fast and leaving it at that? Or are we saying, help me break my fast in a way that I want to break my fast because I'm telling you how I want to break my fast, but I don't actually want to come out and say it straightforward that I want to break my fast mm. in this way. Yeah. There are different ways that you can pray that and still say, help me break my fast. I'm still working on putting together what Stephen praying looks like. Because, like, another theme throughout the episode so far has been almost everything Stephen believes he's going to get when he asks for it is, like, rejected, <laughs> right? So, like, to be perfectly honest, we're I'm working on praying for 40 days straight during this Lent, and there's part of me that's afraid to ask for the things I want because the theme so far has been whatever I ask for in prayer, whatever I think about prayer and, like, what prayer is doing, if I ask for something it almost feels like it's always taken away or like rejected. Mm. Have you tried yet? Well, to be honest, like last year was, it was quite the year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dixie and I have been struggling with infertility and working on our own health for like three or four years now because like we want to have children of our own. And mm. There was a couple years where like we were going to fertility specialists almost every week for different tests and different um different medications and whatnot, trying to get her body in in such a place that it would be hospitable for a fetus. A test on us both together, like but also and also just like working on our diet and our weight loss and all this. And like for years and years now, we've prayed to start a family and there was a certain point where it was like this is getting us nowhere. The prayer is getting us nowhere and neither is the medicine. So mm -hmm. we stopped both a little bit. Mm -hmm. And in February of 2020, just out of nowhere, we experienced a miscarriage that we didn't even know we were pregnant until the pregnancy was over. Like the pregnancy was that mm -hmm. new still. Um, that felt like a huge strike one to me where it's like, okay, I'm going to pray for three years about having a family and now this happens. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's been, it's been quite a healing journey since February and, you know, praying for like what we should do to honor that baby. We named her Bonnie May, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I've had some really powerful prayer experiences where I don't ask for anything, but I'm kind of mm. just there with God and grieving and like, it, kind of like what we were talking about, like God isn't afraid of being our punching bag, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, you get the image of like a four year old just like beating up on their dad's chest. Like the dad is, is there for it, right? He'll take it. Yeah. And that's definitely how it feels, but praying for healing, praying through the grief of that. And then, sorry. Um, and then December we have a second miscarriage and this one got further along, but again, we didn't know we were pregnant until we weren't pregnant anymore. Um, 
so like and that happened like right at the beginning of advent too by the way and it was the first time mm-hmm. i ever celebrated advent so like season of waiting is definitely a uh carries its own flavor for me now like leading up to christmas mm-hmm. like hardest mm-hmm. christmas of my life um and we named this one jonah shy um which is also mm-hmm. why the book of jonah is my favorite is because the one of the things that the book of Jonah gives me is some comfort in that at the end of chapter four, it's like the story just accidentally stops being told. It feels like it's like there's not really a conclusion mm-hmm. to the book of Jonah. Right. And I'm choosing to believe that there's not a conclusion for like, we will never successfully carry a baby to like welcome them into the world and into our family. But um, even praying through stuff like that, it's like, what has even been the point of praying for it? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, one, I want to say thank you so much for sharing Um. that that mm. just speaks a lot to, to be in a space where you share that, um, where you're vulnerable. So thank you. I would just say that prayer is open-ended and prayer doesn't have to have a conclusion either just as our faith journey is growing and changing so is our experience with prayer and with anything in life we're we're gonna have these moments where we don't understand and we maybe take a step back and and that's okay and so i think prayer should be in the same light where there doesn't have to be a nice bow wrapped it up to finish it. It can be just as is. And it can be a, a piece that you come back to and you work on. And just having that avenue of connection and openness. And that if that just continues and there really isn't an end or a conclusion, mm. that that's okay too. Knowing that it is just there. And to say it's always there. And even if you need to take a moment where you step away from prayer and you don't utilize it, it's not gone. You can always come back to it and it will be there in ways that we don't expect. So, oh. Stephen, you reminded me, too, of um, I know I've had this attitude in the past. I'm not saying uh, this is you, but um, <laughs> I think that there are a lot of people who treat prayer uh, almost like a magic thing, even if it's more implicit than explicit that if we just uh if we're in the right place and we do the right discerning and we ask at the right time and the right amount and we we keep doing it we're faithful and um we're um like trying to do everything else in our life right that somehow like we will be rewarded through our prayer and Mm. um to be honest i think that that's a dangerous take um because i do think it ends up setting us up for failure but then there's like more complicated ones like in your case that like you are like clearly yearning for mm-hmm. a certain outcome and you're asking God to be present with you in that and then uh when the outcome doesn't um go as planned um that mm-hmm. I think that that's a I think that's a difficult one for sure well and that's difficult cuz especially like you were in this space where you felt comfortable enough to share and I'm sure there are some people, and you've probably heard it, as all of us probably have. Well, it's pro- it's God's plan. There's there's a oh, reason no. for this. Nah, F- that seriously, like, oh, I 
cannot tell you how many times as a chaplain I heard other chaplains telling people this mm. and I would just cringe on the inside. Stephen, I hope you know that infertility is not God's plan for you. That is not life-giving. Put that on your bingo cards, everyone. That is not life-giving mm-hmm. in any way. Mm-hmm. And you you have all the permission to continue to wrestle and grieve and grapple with what this journey is and what it isn't and how God is a part of that. And you have you have permission, not from me, you have permission to to question everything and to, you know, digress from things and to to move forward in other areas and find ways of of dealing that that's what prayer i think i come to the conclusion is prayer is just another tool in our belt of just dealing with life Mm. and knowing that god is a part of it we don't always use it in the same way it's a tool that's versatile it's a tool that grows with us but it's there and it's at the ready when we need Mm. it however that may be whenever that may be and that that's okay. And to just leave it at that. That there doesn't have to be a pretty bow. It, it can just be what it is. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Emily. The place that I was trying to go with that I didn't quite end up at was that I think that prayer should free us from the need to be right. Mm. Mm-hmm. In whatever ways we like formulate prayer, whether it's petitionary or it's contemplative or it's nonverbal, um, the Bible talks about that, mm-hmm. that we should be in those moments, if we're trying to connect with God, we should be freed from the need to be right. Mm. There's a great book. It's called Prayer of Heart, and the A-R-T is capitalized. And the author is specifically talking about how visual art has helped her utilize prayer. And it's actually a, it's actually used a lot in art therapy from a Christian therapy standpoint. Mm. So yes, I, yes, 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 I yes. would recommend that entirely. Only a, I'm married to an art therapist, so I'm slightly biased. Um, but <laughs> as someone who has benefited from art therapy from a Christian lens, a seminary was hell, um, and I utilized it so much. <laughs> mm. Thank you, Alex Reading House. Mm. You are the love of my life. Um, <laughs> providing free therapy to your wife, which maybe is a iffy, <laughs> but whatever, I'll take it. Um. Prayer can be so, so different for ever. It, music, art, nature, whatever, whatever helps ground you. And like Josh was saying, like if it frees you, it, if it kind of lifts you away from this, this heaviness and this burden mm. per se, mm. then, then that's a good thing. And so if there are other tools that you can use coinciding with prayer then yeah absolutely give it a try find things that are going to help lift you and help center and guide you and not just make you feel like nothing's gonna work i am totally on board uh with that idea i will give that my stamp of approval (laughs) i love the idea of prayer as therapy and there are totally people there are psychologists who like research that like the spiritual experience of prayer working very similarly in the brain to therapy is totally a subsection of study. Stephen, you did ask for like a specific and I want to give you a specific because you asked for one. Yes. I would challenge you to try praying as if God as an embodied being is with you in the room. And I'm I'm not trying to be mumbo jumbo with that. Like I'm not 
I'm not saying like God is going to show up as a human or something like that. And you're going to have like a special visitation or whatever. But like, I feel like I experience prayer and my, my relationship to God differently when I'm in a car and I'm not just like praying to the void, but I like turn my head to the passenger seat and imagine as if God is sitting there with me. Mm-hmm. And wow. to be honest, it's a different experience. Like it feels very therapeutic. It feels very personal. I don't always listen for God. I have weird feelings about listening for God because as we've mentioned, I've like had some like <laughs> failed listens before, but it's a, it's a very different experience. Mm. And if you're trying to like try out different types of prayer, that's been a very therapeutic one. I for think me. I have, I've heard that before. And I, I actually, one of like my most meaningful prayer experiences has come from something of the sort. And, uh, I'm curious, did you pick up that tool or pick up that method from Greg Boyd and the way he talks about imaginative prayer? Uh, I'm, I don't think I did. Um, there's a chance it was influenced by it because I do listen to Greg Boyd sometimes, but mm. um, I think I've had that idea for a long time. So, and I think I was taught that from a young I have, I've found quite the prayer practice. So I'm curious, I'll tell you this story and at the risk of sounding like I'm giving you my own like Mike McCarg, like God is going to speak to me on the beach kind of moment. It's like, it's very much that story. It's like, it's one of the, what I would consider like a mystical experience I've had. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been waiting. I've been wanting to hear this from like the beginning of the podcast. You like have this teased so this true. multiple times. Okay. I want to frame sure. this in like this embodied being kind of thing. So I'll tell my story and then I'll ask you guys to help us wrap up by like, I'm, I'm literally just curious to hear what your individual prayer practices are like like how do you guys pray and then we'll we'll wrap Mm -hmm. up here but so in youth group we went through this whole series of the way the temple and the tabernacle were constructed so we deeply studied the the passages in i believe exodus maybe leviticus i'm not sure but that spells out like Mm -hmm. this is how you build the tabernacle this is where everything is and like we drew diagrams and all this and then the whole series in youth group, we went and every week we talked about a different piece of furniture within the tabernacle as you push further in to the most holy place. And to be honest, that image has always stuck with me so much so that I wrote like a 10 page paper for a philosophy class in college on it. Wow. Yeah. Because so one of my prayer practices and something I've practiced for quite a, a long time, and it's definitely one of those things that has absolutely stuck with me since like I was 16 or 17. It's one of those things I will never let go uh, from whatever else I've like deconstructed or moved past in the way I was re- taught. But so my prayer practice is literally imaginatively walking myself through the tabernacle. So like I'm imagining with as many senses as huh. possible, mm. like parting the tent and going into the first courtyard. And the, there you see the bronze altar and the bronze wash basin, like right before the next entrance. Right. So like, I dwell and meditate on what each of these pieces of furniture represented to the Jews of that day and also what they represent to me now in the light of Christ. Then Mm. going into the next courtyard, you open it up and there's the showbread on one side, there's the candelabra on the other side, and then right up front is the altar of incense before you pass into the most holy place. Um, So dwelling Mm -hmm. on these pieces, it's, it's really a spot where you get to engage your senses. Like you imagine the shadows that the light is casting. You imagine the smell of whatever incense might be burning on the altar that day. You imagine literally tasting the showbread, uh, almost sharing Eucharist in that moment. And then in the imagination, 
you go into the most holy place and there you see like the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim on top, like forming the mercy seat. And in my prayer practice for the last couple of years, um, like the Jews talk about the Shekinah glory, like an actual cloud or an actual like light eminence from the Ark of the Covenant, at least like tradition tells us. And in my prayer practice, I always imagine Jesus literally just sitting there and him inviting him, just inviting me to sit next to him. And I don't listen. He doesn't, he never says anything in my like imagination of a prayer. This is, but it's very much something that helps me like actually envision a presence with me and taking it far enough to even like Jesus allows me to inspect and see like the holes in his hands and his feet and the scars in his scalp and all this like really makes it very real. Um, and I'll tell you guys like, this is, this is one of those moments where like prayer has actually worked a healing thing, but I never asked for it. And I think that's the key for me is when I approach prayer is like asking for it still feels really scary because more often than not, I feel like it's rejected. But so after we experienced our first miscarriage a couple months in, I was, I was doing this and I do this with prayer beads, by the way. So like I imagine every physical step I take while I'm navigating the space, I flip another bead just to kind of give me a pacing, but also just like keep my hands busy. Um, and this particular one, I, I did the whole thing and it was just, it was one of those ones where the altar was particularly powerful to me. Uh, where the story of Abraham and Isaac came up. And as I'm like grieving a miscarriage, like, and I'm remembering Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son and then a goat being like put in his place. Right. Like that was kind of what was on my mind and kind of my heart. So dwelling on the, that altar and then making it through the next room. And I remember almost as if I can literally like see it, I could probably paint a picture of it to be honest. Um, I remember opening the curtain and uh, just on schedule, like right as <laughs> if it was his appointed place, like Jesus was sitting there. But I remember <laughs> seeing what I can honestly say I think my daughter looks like mm-hmm. sitting in the place he, Jesus usually asked me to sit. Wow. And, her, like, and I remember just like t- time just felt like it stopped. And like the the first time ever Jesus spoke to me in this kind of prayer experience, like he actually asked me to like, Hey, I want to introduce you to her. And like mm-hmm. so much healing has come from that. And so much like what I think is like real unshakable faith about who, we are as human beings and who we even are from the beginning of conception. Like that has taught me so much about other theologies that we will one day talk about unravel, Uh, even like afterlife really solidifies in my heart, like what I believe the afterlife might be like, because I legitimately think I've encountered like a flavor of it and that I will one day meet my two children. Um, Mm. So I don't want this episode to sound like prayer is absolutely pointless because it's obviously given me something very, very special, but this is also why I struggle with it so much is because like my first prayer has always been that I would one day be able to actually 
meet my daughter, right? Like, and bring her into the world and like have her Mm. here. And then when I choose to stop asking for it, then she kind of shows up in my appointed imagination type of prayer that I've, I've learned to like enter into. So I don't really ask for things now. It's just like, I I will show up and literally use the word appointment. It's like, no, it's, it's prayer time. It's my appointed prayer time and I'll go meet Jesus and Mm. other people have never been there before or after, but that's, that's one of those stories that sticks with me. And it was so felt so viscerally real that, Mm. yeah, I don't know. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. I think that that, yeah, I like ending on that. That's good. I feel like for me, this conversation is really highlighted again, how similar prayer is to something like theology in that it can be both harmful and healing. Mm. Yeah. And it can also feel really empty and vacuous, I think, but it can also feel like really rich and full and not everyone is comfortable with every Mm -hmm. aspect of prayer or even prayer in general. And uh, I don't know, like it's obviously related to theology. And you can like theologize in it and around it, but it's, I don't know. For me, it seems like such a unique part of like the spiritual experience in that it can be almost all of the things. I almost see prayer as like a fingerprint. Everyone's is different. Mm. There are no two that are alike. Wow. Um, Mm. And it's just so unique to everyone's faith journey, where they're at, and Again, I, I, I'm just, I'm coming back to the, the point, at least for me, where I know it's always there and I can utilize that or not utilize it. And to know that it is okay to have a space where your prayers don't have to be pretty. They don't have to sound formal. They can be prayers of, of angst and sorrow and to know that you can take that up. And that it's okay because it's still authentic and it's still wholesome to where you are. And this connection of mind, body, and soul, what better way to do that than through prayer? Mm. But also hot take, hot take at the end. (laughs) Classic. Uh, I don't (laughs) think that the lack of prayer or not wanting to pray makes anyone any less spiritual or any less no. connected oh, to the divine. absolutely not. Mm. Absolutely not. I am 150% on your side, Josh. (laughs) Heck yeah. So, Stephen, if you don't want to pray after getting yeah. a miscarriage, hmm. that's totally fine. What about you two? You don't have to tell a specific story like I just did, but like, how do you engage prayer on a daily basis? Uh, I probably don't pray every day, but I mean, maybe you could say I do in like my actions, but I definitely mm. don't verbally pray to God, like make an intentional space every day. I definitely like pray on a whim. Mm. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people would call that complacent or like absent-minded. But I'm definitely of the opinion that it does not make me any less connected to God. Wow. My my take would be opposite. Like, it doesn't make you absent-minded to just bring prayer whenever you feel like you need to bring prayer. If anything, that makes you more present to the the availability of that communication, right? Sometimes it's at work, and I'm like looking at the line. I'm like, oh, God, help me. I need to get through this. That counts. Sometimes that's it. Sometimes that's my only prayer throughout the day. Absolutely. What about you, Emily? Um, I... Okay, this is Pastor Emily wants to cop out and say, I pray all the time. Uh, I don't. I do make it an intentional space, even if it's in an everyday activity, whether I'm doing the dishes or I'm 
walking my dog Daisy or I'm at work just sitting with, you know, at myself and with myself, Mm. I just find ways of being intentional. And even if it is like, a oh, God, please get me through this day, like that's intentional because if there is stuff going on where it's just piling up and I feel overwhelmed, those words need to come out Mm. and prayer is the way to do Mm. it. And I find that prayer does not have to be answered because I want it to be answered. And I'm really in love with that idea. Oh, whoa. Um, Say that again. Prayer doesn't. I don't even know. Prayer doesn't. Prayer doesn't have to be answered because I want it to be answered. Wow. I, it can just be. Well, that's my takeaway for the episode. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm really starting to love that idea because it is a very freeing idea for me. Mm. Um, Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, goodness man i feel like there was so much we didn't talk about like this was wonderful oh, but sure. oh my gosh we could have gone there's just so much more to talk about well maybe oh my there's gosh a, maybe um, there's a part two Who knows? but i feel like we should wrap up yeah yeah maybe we'll have to talk about yeah. that again do you guys have any final thoughts no i just just thank you to you two for like being with me through this yeah. episode like that that was really intense thank you so yeah that's showbread baby that's showbread <laughs> Absolutely. I was waiting to make that joke this entire yeah, time. I was wondering. <laughs> well, if you made it all the way through, um, thanks. thanks for uh, listening to this episode about prayer. Uh, if you want to support Ravel, uh, we do have a Patreon. If you don't feel like giving to our Patreon or you need to pray about it, uh, you can support the show also by just giving us a rating and a review on iTunes. That yes. honestly goes a long way. We'll take it. Mm-hmm. Emily, should we end this episode on prayer? Or should we just end it without anything? Because I almost want to end it without anything. You know, like, goodbye. I was feeling the spirit move. I I just want to end as is. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah. Wow, I that's want- weird. I was I was literally feeling that earlier. I was like, I just want to. Just I just want to say goodbye. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> what an ending. What? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you.